and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit more about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. At Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about what the world, especially the corporate world, calls soft skills. See, we believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. One of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out last October. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase. And you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased. And I've been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Additionally, I run an accelerator program which involves one-on-one coaching from myself and it's designed for executives who are interested in growing, learning, and figuring out how they can lead and perform better. Our next accelerator launches in January and is currently filling up. If you're interested in executive coaching and learning more, feel free to email me. My email is brian at strongskills.co. Once again, that's brian at strongskills.co. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand the reach of the podcast, and thanks to all of you who have already done so. Let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Scott Mordell was the longtime CEO of an organization called YPO, and if you know anything about me, you know I'm not a big fan of acronyms in general. So YPO stands for Young Presidents Organization. But if you're in the corporate space and if you are CEO of a company, CEO stands for Chief Executive Officer, then you probably or maybe have heard of Young Presidents Organization. They are an incredible organization. I have a bunch of clients who are in Young Presidents Organization and they're a nonprofit. 
And he served as the CEO of Young Presidents Organization from 2011 through December 2020. So he recently stepped down to try to explore what his next step is going to be. But Scott has an up-close seat to some of the best executive leaders in the world. And he himself has an extensive background in varying industries, geographies, and different types of organizations in business. And it's through his own experience as a CEO and being around a lot of CEOs that he's developed his leadership philosophy and thinking about what it takes to be a great executive and specifically a great chief executive officer. And Scott is absolutely someone who wants to continue to learn, grow, and he's also someone who has developed tools and systems to ensure that he's giving back to others and that he's prioritizing his time the right way. So the word intentional comes up throughout this conversation, and certainly Scott is not just an intentional performer, but also an intentional leader. So he's been in the weeds in business, and he's also been in the nonprofit world serving it serving young presidents organization and through all of that you're going to love scott's ability to think about leadership and to think about ways in which he can inspire and help other people so without further ado i'm so excited to present to you scott mordell scott thank you so much for coming on the podcast we connected via linkedin and i want to start there because you did something that i haven't had anybody else do before. I reached out to you cold. I heard you on Don Yeager's podcast. And I was like, gosh, I really think this guy's interesting. And I'm familiar with YPO. I want to, I want to just connect with him. That was it. And you sent me a message back saying something along the lines of, I get a lot of these LinkedIn requests. Um, if you're interested, I'd love to find some time to connect and get to know you before we just connect on LinkedIn. And so we had about a 15 minute, 20 minute call that I think may have gone a little bit over that. Uh, but talk about why you, why you do that, why you go through the process of then saying, Hey, if you're interested, let's, let's actually really connect, uh, and not just be LinkedIn friends. Thank you, Brian. It's really great to be here with you and, and uh, your listeners. So thanks for this opportunity. I'm glad you're asking this question because it comes down to the core of leadership and what we're all doing here. Uh, it ends up being all about people. And, and so, so in that sense, uh, the relationships we can build, the connections we can make end up being really the most important things in our lives because that's, uh, that's all of our opportunity when it's all said and done. I had a wise man share with me um, uh, early on when it was coming to LinkedIn and these relationships is that they should be real. So many people are just collecting clicks um, that when it comes time to, hey, do you know Brian? Uh, can you reach out to Brian? No, I just accepted his invitation cold and I'm really not comfortable introducing him to you because I barely know, know him as well. And so in that sense, um, what I've found is that when people do make a request to link up, I send them a note back and say, hey, I'd love to meet with you. I try to try to really know the people in my network. If you'd like to connect, that'd be fantastic. And I'll just say, Brian, eight out of 10 don't respond. I'm happy to talk to the two that do because they really do want to connect. And for, for 15 or 20 minutes to get acquainted um, is really creates a foundation for hopefully future discussions, just as you reach out to me on LinkedIn has, has really brought us here today. So to me, it's, a, it's the core of it. And I'd rather have a smaller connection base on any of my platforms uh, that's meaningful rather than have a big one that nobody knows how many there are anyway. Why, why do you think eight out of the 10 don't follow through and, and take you up on your offer? Great question. Uh, you know, I, 
my my suspicion is very much that uh, people are clicking. They're not really thinking about the connection, which is about how much they would have invested in that connection with me anyway, uh, that they're collecting and hopefully somehow trying to do things. And the other part is uh, people are busy. And, and so we all prioritize our limited time to, to do things that matter to us. So I block out a certain amount of my time to do these LinkedIn uh, inquiries, uh, um, a couple hours a week as it would go, no more than that. Uh, um, but at the same time, um, it's a matter of prioritization. And, and so people aren't invested in, in me to make a connection, then, then they're better off not in my network. There's so much there that I want to dive into. And Great. we're, we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about YPO, but there's so much there. So look, I grew up in an upper class area with a two parent household in an amazing community outside Washington, DC. I had the greatest neighborhood of all time. The word privilege is very easy for me. It's I understand why for some people it becomes more complicated, but for me, I can own that I am absolutely a hundred percent come from privilege. Okay. Um, and, and not just that loving, warming, supportive parents. My brothers, most of the time were, as we got older, maybe when we were younger, we fought a lot uh, as three boys do, but so there's, I had a deck that was absolutely stacked in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten lucky in a lot of ways. And I have found that most people just don't follow through. They, they say they're going to do something and then they just don't do it. And for my career, it's the one thing that I'm like, I can just, if I say I'm going to schedule time with Scott, I'm going to schedule time with Scott and I'm going to be there. If I say, I'm going to send you a copy of my book, I'm going to send you a copy of my book. Um, and follow through is something that I just don't think gets talked about enough. So I'd love to get your thoughts on follow through and, and the ability to do what you say. And, and when, when you send that message back, you're now opening it up for the reason that they reached out is now to potentially get to know you and do something. Uh, so like, I, I want to just talk about follow through. What are your thoughts on follow through and, and how you've seen it, how you've observed it and how you think about it? Well, first of all, when it comes to follow through, um, I, I connect to the topic of trust, uh, you know, that relationships are ultimately founded on some degree of trust, you know, reliability between two people or multiple people as, as it would go ahead. And, and what is trust? Trust is meaning what you say, um, doing what you say, and having goodwill for the other person in, in some way, shape or form. And that reciprocity of spirit and activity ends up creating greater trust. And we all, we all love to work with and solve problems and challenges with people that we trust and, and not to mention in our families and in our personal lives and everything else. So, so th- this idea of follow through is particularly important in terms of one's fabric to um, I am what I say I'm going to be and I am who I am. Uh, and um, if I make a mistake or don't follow up, I'm willing to own that too. It's, 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 there's a personal ownership that, that creates a foundation of trust in a, in a very human way. And, and so when we look at the follow through from, from some other folks um, trying to connect or not following through, it's a it's the feeling of the moment. They may have intention, but may, they may not really mean it. And, and, and so you you find out what people really mean based on their action or inaction. So that creates a, a foundation for future trust and future relationships. So I think it's it's really elemental, whether we're in leadership, we're in business, or we're running the PTA, or we're trying to help uh, help raise our kids. 
um, that, uh, that they feel that there's a reliability quotient to uh, engagement with you. And, and that's really, really the key point for um, how we should be going through our lives as best we can. For sure. I think, I think it's spot on. And you said something that I don't want to lose or, or sort of sift over, which is this idea of blocking out a few hours a week for those calls. So people get back to you, you schedule a time with them. Why do that? Why, why spend a few hours a week then with people like me and, and making sure that you're carving out space and time to connect with people that are, are strangers, essentially? What's, what's the reasoning behind that? Thank you. Uh, I love this idea of being intentional and intentional leader, which is very much your foundation, which I really admire. Um, how we intend to spend our time and how we do spend our time is a reflection of what's important. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And, and how, how do we use that time? And, and um, if I'm going to say I'm open to meeting new people and I get excited about meeting new people, I need to prioritize some time for that. And, and so one of the ways I'm fortunate to be able to do that is uh, there's LinkedIn requests and, and I can prioritize some time in a week uh, um, to, to have that happen to where I can meet people. And uh, out, of, out of a number of different calls, I'll, I'll, I'll make some, some long lasting friends and colleagues and business associates uh, because I did make that time. And I limit it actually, because I don't want to spend all day doing that. Uh, um, you know, it's not, not really the nature. It's prioritizing among the rest of the week. Uh, how much time I'm going to do that. And because I've limited it, I, I bring a lot of energy to when I do engage it. Here's the beauty of it. When you told me that on our call, it was transformative for me. And I really mean that because you told me that at a time as probably one of the questions I asked you, which is how do you carve out time for this? Right. And you said, I block it. And for me, I am so grateful. Today, I was with my mentor who introduced me to sports psychology and I'm so grateful that she just introduced me to sports psychology and saw something in me that I may not have even seen in myself. And we all know that there are people along the way that give you their time and their energy and their wisdom, and they mentor you informally or formally. So we want to give back when we're in a position to do so. But you, when we chatted, I was just coming off of this day where it felt like that was all I was doing. And I sort of looked at myself. I'm like, what am I doing? I like this, but I don't want to be a full-time mentor. That's not what I want to do. And so I've started doing Mondays at five o'clock are blocked off for people who want to get advice or pick my brain or connect in a, a sort of mentor role. And that's been amazing, amazing for me. So I just want to thank you for that. It's been, it's been really helpful. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And, and like so much of what we've learned, you've learned, um, we've learned um, because other people have shared these ideas and approaches with us. And so uh, from the LinkedIn approach, there's a gentleman named Suleiman Ahmed, um, uh, who's actually helped me uh, organize um, um, my, my whole approach to, to these kinds of things. And a, a gentleman named Patrick Ewers, uh, running a firm called Mind Maven, um, he's, he was helping me when I was running YPO. It's like, Scott, you can do more. You can be more. You can engage more. You just got to prioritize yourself accordingly. And so he's given me some life lessons relative to that. And one of those was really to be much more intentional about how I use my calendar uh, and, and really um, to accept the fact that it, it is limiting, but at the same time, you're, you're limiting things so that you have more space to do what's really important to you. So I'm thrilled that you're, you're adopting even a portion of this, Brian, because it's a, it is liberating when you, when, you, when you can set some time aside, but then really commit to that time to be the best you can when you show up for it. 
You mentioned commitment and I think of there's time commitment and I love how you're talking about you prioritize the 24 hours in the day, but Jim Lur, who has been in, involved in human performance for a long time, talks about energy management as well. And as I'm listening to you, and I remember on our call, you were fully present, engaged. What do you do to make sure your energy is managed throughout the day? Is there anything you do to ensure that you're showing up the way that you want to show up as far as how it uh, correlates and maps on top of your calendar? Thank you. This whole topic is so important in business and otherwise. Um, I've uh, I've been sometimes good at managing energy and other times not so good, and even over a period of years, not so good. Uh, but uh, more recently, I've been very conscious about my own energy. And so when I get up in the morning, I've, I've got a little half hour routine uh, where I, I've got a reflection and gratitude process that I take myself through that takes a few minutes. I've got a little form I've created and just take myself through getting my, my head on right, thinking about the people in my life who are struggling and, and those that, that are they're not and just being reminded of who are blessings in my life. I literally do that every single day. And then from there, um, some mind clearing um, is really a, do a little bit of a meditation as anywhere from five to 15 minutes, uh, depending on, on the day. Then I come out of that um, and, and I really think about, okay, what do I really need to do today? And so I use Asana to prioritize uh, my, my schedule and my, my, my key projects, my key areas of emphasis. And I'll sit with Asana and prioritize that and, and get that list down to three or five things for the day that are my, my, my primary intentions. Then I, I get my cup of coffee and then I start my day in, in earnest. And, and so um, uh, I used to be a prisoner of my email inbox, of my chat boxes and WhatsApp and Signal and it just so many inbounds. And I would clear those first before I'd get started on the day. And, and I found out that I was, I was giving away time that wasn't very meaningful and, and I really didn't have my head on. So by starting well, uh, um, it, it really helps me be very conscious of my energy uh, during the course of the rest of the day. And then just a five or 10 minute in my mind debrief of the day. Um, you know, did, did I, did I sit, did I do what I said I was going to do? Um, what did I learn? Uh, oh, geez, I got to carry this one over until tomorrow. I, I just, I just really do a, a quick reflection, but it, to me, all the energy, and it doesn't take that much. It's just making the time to do it and committing to it is really at the start. That's awesome. When we chatted, one of the things that really stuck with me, it's amazing. I don't remember stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I have done 250 of these podcasts and there are people that say, oh, episode 174. I'm like, I have no idea who that was with. And to be honest, a lot of times conversations don't stick with me. Um, and, and so that's my own issue. But one of the things that, that stuck with me, other than blocking the calendar, was you said something. You said, there's going to be a tail coming out of the pandemic. And that really stuck with me. There's going to be a mental health toll, or I think you used the word tail, mm -hmm. coming out of this. So as I think about your day and the energy management and the intention that you've had, talk about the other side of this and, and what you're observing, what you're noticing um, as far as the pandemic and the impact that it's going to potentially have on leaders or humans in general. And I'd love to get your perspective on that. Uh, thank you. Uh, we're, we're all in the midst of a, of a swirl, right? And so, so the pandemic's been going on literally for 18 months or so. Uh, and, and it's, you know, 
It's going to have a long tail in terms of what the business implications are and ramifications. Um, the COVID's not going back into the box with these variants and everything else and, and, the, and the societal disruption uh, that we've had. We have a very important racial and gender reckonings going on at the same time, not to mention politics is, and, and everything else, fitting all of that together in business. There's, there's a, lot to, um, a lot to address uh, for, for leaders and for business and for each of us as workers. And given that, um, I think we're learning a new mindset. We weren't quite as in control as we used to be because we were never that much in control. We were living a bit of an illusion. And, and I think people are, are learning to, um, to, to prioritize in their own lives what, what's important. And therein lies very much of this, uh, you know, do we all go back to the office? Is it a hybrid model? Is it a hybrid of a hybrid model? What does that look like? And workers' talent is, is prioritizing how they want to work and what's most important to them. Uh, and um, uh, I'm struck that we're, we're falling back as human beings back to what's important in a lot of ways in a day-to-day -day way. Our jobs have never been the most important things in our lives. I mean, when you look at the studies about what creates meaning, Pew did a wonderful set of surveys um, not too long ago, and they concluded that you know, how, how we relate to our family and our time with our family ends up being more than two to one important relative to the time we spend on our jobs in terms of our own personal sense of meaning. And, and given that, uh, people are prioritizing accordingly. They don't want to commute. They'd rather, they'd rather be at home and fit things together. And, and they're, they're, they're sorting all this out. So the tale, the tale of people are exhausted. People have paid a big price financially uh, in many cases and otherwise. Um, they're, they're trying to sort out wh where they go. They're trying to reprioritize their lives. Uh, um, and at the same time, life isn't as easy as it was uh, um, 24 months ago in a lot of ways in terms of uh, both supply chains and access to things in stores and even going out to have dinner with somebody. So, so I, think, I think we're in the middle of a, of a, of a significant amount of change. And, and uh, I think for the most part, we're going to, as humans, we're going to prioritize the really important things. And, and it's, it's a bunch of individual decisions that will add up as time goes, but it's, uh, it's painful while we're going through it. There's a lot there. One, when you're talking about meaning and, and really studying meaning and what gives people meaning and fulfillment, uh, University of Pennsylvania has been studying the science of happiness for quite some time. And they've found that people are social. When, when they are social, they tend to be happier. They mm -hmm. found that when we have family, like you were saying, when we have friends, we tend to be happier. Gratitude, which you, you talked about, you know, leading your day off with gratitude. When we're grateful, we tend to be less stressed. Uh, fulfillment and purpose and feeling like we're growing and we're improving and then helping other people. Those are like very tenets of, of happiness. I see you smiling as I say that. So what's coming up for you? Thank you. Uh, I think all those are, are very, uh, um, uh, are spot in. Uh, and, and at the same time, there's a difference between happiness and meaning uh, that, that things can give me joy but what gives my life purpose uh, and what, what gives me a sense of, uh, um, uh, you know, the world was better because Scott was on it uh, type feeling. Uh, there, there's, a, there's meanings even a bit deeper. And, and um, I, I want to be loved and I want my, my family to love me and I want the people that matter most to me to, 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 to connect with me. And I, I, want, I want to matter to them. And, and so at the very core, that's, that's the validation of my life, right? And um, as we get older and our circles get smaller and they close to family, if we're lucky enough to live a, a long, long time, um, th those are the people that are going um, to be there, that are going to be, be part of that support network as, as life goes on. And 
got to see the long game. You got to understand how, how important it is to have people close in in your life. And if it's not family, it's friends, it's somebody else. But we all we all need meaningful support structures and relationship structures that uh, that that uh, uh, that are more than you know taking the dog out. You know, and I enjoy that too. So so it's a uh, there's a I, I'm smiling because happiness is really important and and uh, we need to follow that. But uh, um, in a bigger game to, to to really find that meaning for us individually. It's interesting. I used to speaking engagements and there could be a thousand people in the room and i used to say who here wants to be happy and everyone would raise their hand and then there'd be like one person not raising their hand but they weren't paying attention so i'd be like oh you, you don't get and like oh sorry and then they raise their hand i actually went away from studying happiness because for me like there's going to be sadness in life if you live long enough and there's going to be downfalls and and adversity and experiences and i i shifted it to wanting to feel alive and one of the reasons I do this podcast is I feel alive when I have these conversations, but I also feel alive when I'm with my kids. I also feel alive when I'm playing golf. I also feel alive when I'm with my friends at dinner. I'm also feeling alive when I do my work and I coach or I speak or all these different things. But for me, feeling alive involves some of the not so good stuff as well. Um, so that's just a subtle shift. As I'm hearing you talk, legacy comes up. And I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on on legacy and how you view it? Well, uh, it, it's uh, it's all actually it's a spiritual question, really, really more than anything. And um, you know, I don't know if who believes in God or an afterlife or or whatever that is, you know. Um, but from my standpoint, I don't know about any of those things. All I can control is what I do while I'm here. So um, I'm not going to have my name on, on elementary school uh, cornerstones and, uh, and all of the rest of that stuff. That's just not really where I am. To me, uh, legacy is uh, um, do people remember me and, and, and think fondly of me um, after I'm gone, whatever that looks like. If I'm not in the room or if I've passed on, um, you know, how many, how many lives can I touch to where, to where they're a little bit better off because I touched them? Uh, to me, that's the that's the ultimate legacy um, relative to, to to what matters, and, and so um, uh, I don't need to be uh, celebrated other than by the people that that, that matter most to me. But um, just uh, I just want to, in the engagements that I do have with people, uh, touches um, touch as many positively as I can. And sometimes I don't do that because I'm you know I'm human and I'm just not in a good spot in certain ways. But but for the most part, when they add it all up, I'm hoping that there's a lot more in the positive ledger than the other way, and that uh, that's ultimately my legacy as, as a human being on, on the earth. How how do you think about spirituality? I I believe in I believe in souls, and I, I believe we each have a soul, and and um, I think our souls are on a journey to learn and grow. And um, when you stop learning and growing, you might as well pass on. So I'm, so I'm very hungry for life and I'm very hungry for new experiences and, and new ways to, uh, to take it all on. Um, keep in mind, I'm very humble to it all because there's, uh, there's 8 million souls on this planet right now. And uh, there's been 102 billion people uh, um, who have lived before us uh, than, than right now. Okay. All those souls were on some kind of journey um, in different ways and different places and different uh, everything. So, so I'm not so crazy to think that, uh, you know, the, the world's going to fall apart when, when Scott Mordell passes on. So I, so I, I it really helps liberates me to, to think about more, uh, more, uh, a little bit smaller and a little bit more humbly relative to, I can touch those people that, that I can touch. And, and um, I just, uh, I want to live a, a life that um, uh, people can uh, be proud of to say that they knew me. One of the things that's really clear with you is that you're, you have this thirst for learning and growing and developing. 
And people use the phrase lifelong learner. I think that's probably how a lot of people would describe you. When do you start to say, okay, I'm good there. Like, when is it? I think about being and becoming and this idea of becoming, I want to become more. I want to grow. I want to develop. I want to get better. I want to improve versus the being part. And, and maybe this is a good time to bring in YPO because I've worked with seven people in YPO. I've facilitated a retreat. My dad was in YPO. My best friend's in YPO. I'm very familiar with it. And we're going to explain it in more detail for our audience who might not be as familiar with it. But from my perspective, a lot of YPOers are so ambitious and driven and curious and want to learn and want to grow and want to develop. But sometimes they don't just be where their feet are. Sometimes they don't just sit in stillness or groundedness. And for you, as you were in it, and also as you were leading those people, I'm curious, like, when do you just be and when do you focus on becoming or how do you think about that? Oh, that's such great set of questions. Uh, I, I don't think there's a linear aspect to it or even a compartmentalized aspect. I think all of us are, um, we've got multitudes all the time, right? And, and, and so uh, that the nature of, of, of an organization like YPO that, that brings together people who have um, achieved some degree of success in their careers anyway, at, at a fairly early age, they're, they're inherently strivers to begin with, okay? So, so the, the fact that they're strivers means that uh, they just, they're striving and they wanna be, they want to know more. They want to know everything. They want to, they want to be inquisitive. They, they want to get questioned and, and, and really take things on. And that's a, that's a common spirit that ends up being contagious and, and, and feeds, uh, feeds itself and feeds, feeds a group. Add to that what is becoming and, and whatever else. I, I, I think we're all works in progress. And, and, and uh, um, so I don't, once we think we've become something, uh, there's always something else that unfolds that says, well, we could become a little bit better if we go a little bit further to that. So, so the scale, the expectation just keeps, uh, keeps expanding and, and, and people keep to see it and the interaction among each other helps us see it. So um, it's a very Buddhist kind of mentality really is people chase enlightenment. And I wouldn't say that all YPOs are chasing enlightenment, but I would say that there's a there's a sliding scale of, 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 of striving and, and people are just uh, wired to do that. And it's, uh, it's rewarding, it's exciting, and it's uh, invigorating. All right. So now you said blessed, you said Buddhist, you talk about spirituality. Were you raised this way? Were you raised in a religion? Like where did this interest in philosophy and sort of something a little bit deeper than maybe just business, where did that come from for you? Well, thank you. I was raised Catholic and uh, went to Catholic school and all, all the rest of that. Um, but more, um, I've always just been one to, I want to, what are the timeless truths? Okay. Uh, and so I, I don't believe Catholics have a, have a highway to the promised land any more than any other religion does. I, I think that there's a commonalities among things. And I'm, I'm kind of always perpetually on a quest for the, for the simplest truth, uh, because I can do something simple. I can't do something complicated. And, and, and so in that sense, that's been one of my, how can I distill this complicated world in a way that I can, I can be part of it and be a productive part of it. So uh, I think there's elements of, of a lot of different uh, um, cultures and a lot of different practices that, uh, that are very relevant to me. So I, I try to adopt them as I, as I become familiar with them or um, they become relevant. This is probably a conversation for another podcast, but Catholicism intrigues the hell out of me. And right? yeah. yeah, because when people say that they are Catholic or they were Catholic, there's often like a qualifier. 
And I've heard people say, I used to be a Catholic or I was raised Catholic. And I have met so many thoughtful people that grew up in a Catholic household or went to Catholic school and they have this thoughtfulness, but their thoughtfulness is not necessarily completely aligned with Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so intrigued by it because in a lot of ways, I find those people to be enlightening and curious and, and interested in, in learning, but not necessarily completely bought into the strictness Mm -hmm of Catholicism. And so like where my mind goes is, well, there's some, there's a lot of good that's in there. And I understand the restrictiveness and and perhaps why they move away from it, but how did they become them? And and so I I just hear it in, in such an interesting way. Uh, I don't know if any of that makes any sense as I'm saying. Oh, it it, it does. It does very, very much. And, uh, you know, I, I even said I was raised Catholic. I didn't say I'm a practicing Catholic today. Right. So, uh, but, but going to religion, we'll save it for another podcast. But there's three parts of, of any religious uh, culture. Okay, there, there's the there's the spirituality quest, which is uh, in one part at the core of it. There's a ritual of life that uh, that creates a sense of uh, predictability for people, and then there's a sense of community. You know that 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 you can share a sense of community with with people who are enough like you to where you can share that. Every religion uh, uh, and every culture actually has has elements of those, and and so so in that sense, uh, um, I drew a lot of community out of out of the, the Catholic uh, experience. For me, I didn't draw as much relevance when it comes to my personal spirituality and and, and the ritual I, I didn't enjoy. So, but I. I found a lot of positive out of the community and out of, out of, out of all of that. And so whether one's Jewish or, or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or, you know, or, or not practicing, even atheism has its own kind of sense of uh, community to it. Uh, um, I, I think everybody draws uh, some degree from, from those kinds of identities and, and interactions. But there's two things that I do get concerned about. And this is coming from someone who is on a search to try to figure out what the heck sure. I think about religion. And I've spent some time trying to figure it out and I don't have any, nobody's going to get anything from me on this podcast. That's convicted when it comes to religion. I, I don't have conviction. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still very curious about it. Yeah. However, here's where I am convicted. You mentioned community. Think about religion and all those religions you mentioned, they all bake in a time to come together and to be mm-hmm. whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday or a time of day you pause and you just get to be and you get to reflect or think about how you're being and, and how you're showing up. And as our society moves away from formal religion, I have concerns about our ability to take a Saturday off or to take a Sunday off. Um, I've talked to a lot of Christians who say, yeah, Sunday used to be, you know, you go to church. Now they have a lacrosse game on Sunday. And I worry about our society if we don't create these spaces and these communities for reflection, for a time to be, and not just in, you know, your own home, but in your community and the power of that community. And then the other big thing is philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Most religions believe in giving back. Um, certainly Catholicism, it, it's a massive part of it. And as a society, as we become less religious, we tend to give less to charity and it's baked into religion in a really beautiful way. And those are two things that I've been thinking a lot about as I have my own kids, where, where are they going to get time to just reflect and be? And 
how can we make sure? And by the way, you can get those things away from your religion, Mm -hmm. but I do worry that as we move away from some of that as a society, we might lose some of the benefits that come with formal religion. Thank you. It's hard to disagree with with that sense of perspective. Uh, Another way to see things maybe a little bit differently, though, is that people are finding outlets to be. I mean, you look at the rise of yoga, for example, and you look at the way that even some of the uh, at-home training and fitness where where people are creating spaces for themselves in in many cases, a motivational, almost spiritual kind of way. I mean, look at SoulCycle and what Peloton's doing and other things that people are finding different ways to... Um, step out of their routine and step into themselves a bit. And, and, um, and you know, there, there's, there's many other ways, non-secular ways that that's happening. And, and so I don't disagree with the, with your sense of like, geez, you know, there, there are some really good things um, that some of these religious uh, practices and rituals really do. Uh, but there's also some replacements that the more secular society is creating a little bit more emphasis on than maybe it had back in those days as well. So I think looking at it more holistically and, and look at your kids and look at your friends and find out if they're not, if they're um, not practicing in some way, shape, or form, what are they practicing? And and, and I think people are more geared to, uh, to to find some space for themselves um, uh, as as time goes too. So we should see the whole thing. Now, I love that. I love that you just checked me like that because it's so true. I I think everyone looks at social media and sees Twitter and sees tweets, and yes, that is part of the ecosystem in Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, Facebook and all that. But meanwhile, you have long form podcasting. The ability to get amazing information in a long form did not exist 15 years ago. And now if you really want to go deep on a topic, like you can probably just Google that a person that's an expert in that and you can listen to a podcast in your ears. And so that's a good yin and yang example to your point of innovation and how we tend to think everyone just wants short clips and the headline, but there's this thirst for deeper knowledge that podcasting has, has filled, uh, certainly for, for myself. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, let's not forget, people can get it when they want it, right? So, so maybe I'm only really a good listener from 10 to 1130 at night, because that's my time. I can long form podcast then. And, and so, so it's on demand. So it's not even just the fact that it's available, but it's, uh, it's really, um, the ultimate developable. It's like when it's best for me as an individual. So I, I, I just see, see tons of opportunity out of this. And, and even coming out of COVID, when, when people have developed a lot of new habits, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who, who are now, you know, people are hurling recommendations on podcasts and specific episodes freely, um, even more so than books uh, that, that, than before. So people are dedicating their time in, in really good ways, I think. No, it's, it's spot on. You mentioned before we started really recording that leadership is just of interest to you, that you're just always curious and interested in learning more about leadership. Was that something that you had as a kid? Was it something that came later in life? When did leadership become a passion of yours? It's been evolving, uh, you know, as I've taken on different roles and, and been fortunate to do some different roles as a leader. I was first promoted to CEO at the age 33, okay, and uh, was probably not ready. People had confidence in me, and I made a lot of mistakes as I, w- I was going along. So um, nothing like a mistake to create a student, right? So um, so um, since then, I've been collecting little nuggets, trying to trying to learn universal rules, trying to 
apply what I've learned and been very active, um, uh, uh, engaging and listening to, to mentors, official mentors, as well as just anybody who can teach me anything or I can learn from. So I've always tried to be a really good listener. And then certainly my role, you know, I spent 10 years at, at YPO, uh, which is a, a global leadership organization. 30,000 CEOs uh, are, are in YPO across 140 countries. And um, you know, YPOs come together to, uh, to learn more, uh, to become better people, better leaders, and have a bigger impact in the world. So that makes me a student of, of leadership in, 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 the, in the greatest sense of, of the word. And the, the thing that comes to mind, though, um, and when it comes to leadership, and being a, a student is um, we so much of the conversation is oh she's a leader uh, oh he's a leader we're all leaders okay um, and you know even Steve Jobs stopped at red lights okay so um, some of us are you know we all follow at different times and at other times we lead sometimes we lead in our household sometimes we lead in our work and and I think it's a it's a it's a part of all of us uh, um, and uh, that the key is that that part of it if we can make ourselves better at it um, you know the world's a better place but uh, but I, I think this idea that somebody's a leader and somebody's not a leader is one of the biggest um, broken myths of, of this whole leadership uh, uh, space uh, because because everybody's got leadership aspects. Um, uh, you're just maybe not aware of them. What aspects did you not have at 33 as you became a CEO that you have now that you would go back and tell 33-year-old Scott, hey, you might want to develop in this way or, hey, what advice would you give to 33-year-old Scott as you become a new CEO? Oh, uh, you know, at 33, I was very focused on what I should be doing as the CEO, Okay. And I wasn't thinking empathetically enough as to how people saw my actions and my statements. And, and so uh, one of my mentors then was very careful to say, hey, you may feel you're the same person, but those people on the other side of the desk, they don't think you're the same person. They see you as the CEO. So what you say and the way you can convey it is much different now than it was when you were uh, one of them. Okay. So, so you need to think more holistically about how people see you. And that's been a slow lesson over and over and over again as time goes, uh, Brian. Um, and but th this empathy to um, to do what we say when we're marketing, which is you got to think and think from the perspective of your customer. Uh, a really good leader thinks from the perspective of those um, she's trying or he's trying to lead. And and I didn't do enough of that at 33. It's interesting. I'm I'm trying to understand. Okay, what happened there? It sounds as if you just thought you were one of them. And so you would just be like, Hey, I'm not any different. I, they just gave me this title. And it almost sounds like it comes from a place of humility. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm one of you all. I'm no different. I just happen to have this title. It sounds very much like everybody's a leader. We're all just gonna do good work together. But it sounds like that got in the way in your ability to influence people and that you didn't have an understanding that that title did matter and that it was different now. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, everybody is a leader in particular segments of their life, not at the same time, right? So, um, so when it came to Arlington International Racecourse, which is where I was promoted CEO first in, in Chicago, um, you know, at Arlington, I was, you know, I was a leader working for a wonderfully dynamic uh, chairman uh, who, who built the Arlington Racecourse, uh, Dick Dushiswa. And uh, yet at the same time, um, uh, I was. I started out there um, as as a vice president, and and I wanted to be one of them. I, you know, it's this humble thing that hey, we're all in this together. Let, let's figure it out. And and uh, um, it really was from a good place. 
But the fact is, um, my jokes meant something different when when I got the CEO title branded on my forehead than they did when I was a vice president. Okay, and and people perceive things differently, and and so I had to had to learn that uh, um, you know my my continual quest to be one of them was that actually is undermining what they needed from me, which was uh, they needed a little bit more uh, leadership. They needed to feel that somebody was was thinking about the whole. And uh, they, 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 they needed me to fill that role because, because uh, their, their work at Arlington was, was incomplete if they didn't have the CEO, okay? So, so I, I, had, I had to learn to fill, fill that role. And so um, uh, to you know, learn that along the way. And, and now I'm very clear to know that sometimes the team really needs the CEO out of the room because they wanna talk about the CEO or they wanna talk about things that, that kind of bond them together. And you gotta give people room to be themselves. And, and sometimes you, you, you as a CEO, um, no matter how humble and great you are, you actually stifle conversation by being in the room, no matter how humble you think you are. So um, you got got to live through the through the lenses that the other people see you and, and help them uh, help them be their best selves. It's interesting. I feel like a lot of my life, I'm the youngest person in the room, yeah. um, and I I'm 37 years old, um, and so I've been asked before, like, what's it like to coach someone who's 53 or 65 and I've done all of that uh-huh. and I've never really thought too much of it I'm like I'm there to do my job and you know it, it's the age is just a number right and I've started to think more about it. I'm like you know what if I'm the youngest person in the room I'm probably in the right room there's a huge opportunity for me to learn to grow um, and it's an honor and it's a privilege if I'm the youngest person in the room I'd love to get your perspective because at 33, I'm sure there were people at Arlington that were far older than you, that you are now their boss uh, or you were in charge of leading. Um, what did you learn about being young as a CEO? Uh, thank you. Uh, and that was, you, you've outlined a very good uh, outline of how my experience has been, although I'm not the youngest person in the room anymore as, as it would go, Brian. But we can get you in some, we can get you in some older you know, we'll get you into some senior living facilities and, <laughs> and, and you'll, you'll, you'll get to experience it in no time. You're not that oh, old. We got I'll you. We hungry. got you taken care of. Yeah. Hungry to listen to them. Uh, there's still so much to learn for, for, from everybody. But at, at the time, uh, um, you know, it was very interesting. It's like, how do, how do I learn their, earn their confidence? Okay. Because when, when you're a leader, you have authority, uh, which means, yes, I can, I can control pay and compensation and all hire and fire and theory and all the rest of that. But can I earn their support? And what does it take to earn support? Um, uh, one one um, needs to be competent. Uh, one needs to have a vision that, that, that feels like people can find out where they fit in that vision. And they, they, they need to feel that they can trust you, that you've got their best interest at hand, and that you're, you're willing to, um, to do the work. That you that you're not you're not a, a leader that sits on the sits on the throne and makes prognostications that doesn't create followers and so so you have to earn their support and and I I I did what people did in uh, 1995 during support I worked incredible number of hours a week and I was always there and and I always demonstrated that if I had a point of view it was thought out and and I tried to earn people toward where where we were going and what we had to do and um, I just had to earn their support so. How to earn support today is largely those same kinds of things, just to prove that you, that you're there. You have you have the, um, the interest of the organization at heart, not your own. You have goodwill toward uh, those that are working with you, and you want to help them all develop. 
you're creating opportunity, you're trustworthy, you mean what you say, you say what you mean, and um, you don't walk around acting like you have all the answers because none of us do. And so therefore, um, uh, we're, we all need each other to help us uh, solve the problems as we go. And when did you get introduced to Young Presidents Organization? So you're saying 1995, you're in this role, 2011, you become CEO of YPO. Fill in the gap a little bit, the gaps for us a little bit. Yes, um, I was fortunate. I worked for a privately owned company um, uh, in, in Chicago that was owned by the Dushiswa family. And, and so uh, Mr. Dushiswa, who um, is, uh, um, is YPO's oldest member right now, he, he joined YPO back in, the, uh, back in the 50s, and also his son were YPO members. And, and they encouraged me to join YPO because it had been very, very helpful for them. And so um, kind of resisted it. I didn't feel I belonged, uh, quite honestly. And, and um, uh, but as time went on, uh, they, they really impressed upon me how, how important it would be for me to join YPO. And I got to tell you, it's been one of the greatest things that's, um, that I've ever had the privilege of, of, of being a part of um, because um, we, there's a, there's a spirit of sharing. There's a spirit of goodwill and, and confidentiality to where people can share openly. Um, uh, uh, with other CEOs, and that just speeds up the learning so so incredibly. And and um, we forget many CEOs just uh, um, you know they feel like somebody's always trying to get in their pocket, somebody's always trying to sell them something, somebody's always trying to get their their son or daughter uh, employed, and you know there's just just a lot of potential people. And and YPO kind of stripped all that out and said, no no no, you're you're here to learn from each other. And um, uh, it's been. Uh, it's made me a better leader. It's made me a better uh, CEO, better, better father, better husband, and quite frankly, a better person just because it's been holistic. So young presidents organizations, for those that don't know, they are around the world. So they have what they call our chapters. And if I get anything this wrong, you can jump in. But they have chapters all over the world. Um, when I was a kid, we actually went to Africa uh, and went through a safari and did these amazing trips. Um, and my father was also part of a forum. So they have these chapters in, every, in in a lot of different cities, not every city, but they have different chapters and those are like larger groups. Then they have what are called forums and forums tend to be about eight to 10 people, I believe. And that's where you really get that confidential space to share what you're going through and you give an update on what's going on in your life, but also with your business. And the design is that the people are not there to give you advice. They're there to listen, to ask questions, and perhaps share what they noticed or what they observed as you were speaking. And then they share as well. So there's a mutual vulnerability that exists. And for my dad and the people that I know that are in YPO, they love the trips. They love the networking. They love the chapters. They love the, the global element. But the forum, I think, is the secret sauce that really makes YPO tick and go because that's where these people often really get amazing transformative experiences and they are peer led. So they have a moderator and that moderator helps run that forum. How did I do on my explanation? Did I, did I blow it? Did I miss anything? What would you add? Brian, that's brilliant. Thank you. We, we've got to, we've got to get you on our website and, and, and go. Uh, the, the one thing I would add is, is that as, as YPO has evolved, uh, it's, it's beyond forums. It's, it's also become very topically oriented. So there's uh, some 50 different networks on different topics uh, that actually connect people globally. And so um, if you, if you believe about, if you believe in global diplomacy and you want to learn more, we've got an incredible network of people from every country uh, who share openly in this way that you're describing. And it really helps speed along people's interest and growth uh, as well. So uh, it's a healthy organization. 
organization. It's it's um, and if I would just say any of your listeners, if uh, if you're if you're a CEO is aspiring to continued growth and realizing um, you know there's just more more to more to things and you're just trying to sort it out, uh, YPO is a great place to do that. It's been amazing because I work with a lot of clients who are in YPO. And so I provide one-on-one coaching. YPO provides more of that community experience and that group almost therapy is a way you could think about it, but it's different than group therapy, but they get a different experience. And then they're really primed for one-on-one coaching because they've done some self-exploration and some reflection in a group setting. Now we can really drill down in a one-on-one setting. And so I've found that it is a great uh, segue to doing the work that I do in your 10 years, what changed, what changed from, you know, I'm talking about 2011 till now, like what, what changed in what, in YPO? Well, I mean, YPO grew by uh, over 50% and uh, you were more, more global than we ever were. And we've been more holistic about uh, more family and, and spouse partner programming. And, uh, you know, we've continued to increase our diver- diversification and all of those things one would expect. Um, the, the, the challenge um, really con- continues to be is uh, just a greater awareness and focus on this idea that none of us really walk alone. Okay, so it, it can be lonely to be a leader at the top, whatever that is. Um, and yet, uh, at the same time, we all need uh, other people and other perspectives. And so YPO um, has been very careful and very focused about how do we create that for folks? And, and how do we create that mutual support? And other organizations um, and coaching uh, all fill different elements of, of, of that puzzle about how, how, does, how does one improve themselves? Well, they don't totally improve themselves. They improve themselves by interacting and engaging with others and that uh, can help them make the best choices for themselves. And, and that's really, really the model. We've become very much more um, digital and global, as you would expect. We used to do 8,000 in-person events uh, a year, okay, across all of our chapters and, and everything else. And under COVID, that's all stopped, right? Uh, just uh, it, it's taken different forms in different markets and countries. And so now that uh, we're weaving great learning, great sharing, and great vulnerability, and just great trust uh, in, a, in, a, in a virtual kind of way. And that's helping us all lead our companies better, because if you can do it in that kind of setting, then, then doing it in a, in a common cause kind of way that our organizations need is, 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 is speeding up our own learning. I'm doing math, and I'm not always great with math, but I'm pegging you at like 48, 47, 49 years old, somewhere in that area when you decided, hey, I, I, I think I want to be involved on the business of YPO and, and help run this thing. What led you to that? And if my math's wrong, just correct me, but what, what led you to go from being a member um, to saying, Hey, I want to help run the organization. Yeah. Thank you. I had taken a mid-career sabbatical at at age 48. Uh, Your math is pretty good. And uh, just really thinking about what I wanted to to do next and and where I was going to get the greatest amount of energy and and personal growth. And I was uh, sorting some things through and YPO had just begun a search for a new CEO at that time. And and a friend of mine uh, just said, Scott, you'd be perfect for this role. And I said, are you kidding me? I've worked for all these CEOs. It sounds like hell, you know? That's, uh, it sounds like a lot. It's like so many CEOs, everybody's, you know, chief of whatever. And I, I was kind of resisting it. But once I started to talk to the leadership of YPO, the board of directors and, and everything else, that the servant leadership spirit at that level, at that global level was just downright inspiring. Uh, the, the humility of the people in the room, the sense that we were working for something much greater, that we we're actually improving the world and we needed to do it through leadership. And the, the idea that 
business uh, business can be a force of good, and you know, and, and we 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 need to help help business and help our leaders uh, be better. And so our customer was the leaders, not the businesses. And and uh, the, the focus was just really truly invigorating. And so I was lucky enough to get selected, and and then from there on, um, away we go. Um, big shift to go from a for profit to a not for profit for anybody contemplating that. Uh, but that was part of the learning and growing. But the the, the cause was was really motivating to me. It's interesting. I think we're both connectors. And uh, right when we had connected a few weeks later, we had Lindsay Kaplan on the podcast from chief. And in that conversation, she's talking about YPO being a model for her. And I said to Lindsay, uh, well, YPO is a nonprofit. Y'all are raising money. So they're not exactly the model for you. And then afterwards I said, you know what, you and Scott should connect. And I think you all connected as well. Um, as you think about for-profit community building and not having people walk alone, Lindsay's building an amazing community mm-hmm. of women who are supporting each other to not walk alone. And, and YPO was doing that in the nonprofit sector. Do you have any perspective on, on nonprofit business versus for-profit and, and how you think about it? Um, for people that might be wanting to start something that can really transform the world, where would you have them start if they were asking, hey, where, where should I go with this? Well, there's so many questions in there, Brian. So uh, relative to one, I, I think, well, we were talking about religions earlier. I think some of these secular organizations are replacing a lot of that sense, those senses of community in, in, in different ways. And so there's plenty of room for, for organizations like Chief and Vistage and um, you know, Lean In and just all these organizations where, where people are, are, are creating uh, support support networks, support groups, and, 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 and individual coaching support uh, that, that help us all kind of navigate this world that we're in. That's all very, very positive because it's, it's very human and, it, and it's, it's, it's creating connections and support that we all need uh, because none of us do walk alone. Relative to the profit, not-for-profit, I, I think there's just different elements to it, right? So, so one, we're a not-for, YPO is a not-for-profit, and um, it's committed to t- take all of its, all of its uh, dues earnings and repump that into the member experience. You know that's a fact. A for-profit business has to take all of those dues and, and, and pay back its investors and, and earn, a, you know, earn a profit and, and do all those things and provide great value and great service. And, One's not better than the other. They're just going to operate a little bit differently. And uh, um, YPO is fortunate too, because the not-for-profit model creates a lot of volunteers. And then YPO has more than 10,000 member volunteers every single year. So literally more than a third of its membership are are volunteering time back to the organization. Okay. What's a CEO's most precious asset? It's not their money, it's their time. And here they are donating their time because it's a not-for-profit and, and they, they get a lot for that. And a for-profit model's got a slightly different uh, t- touch to it, but they all work. They just work in different ways. I love it. Sabbatical, what did you do? Oh, I took some time. I, you know, I, When you work all the time and, and you're not home enough, uh, there's a price that gets paid at home. Uh, you know, I, I was a little bit uh, disconnected from my kids. Um, and I was felt like I was working and working and I, I had kind of lost my balance to, to some degree. And I didn't know what I wanted to do next. So I, the best thing to do uh, is like we were talking earlier is take some time and step away so that you can reflect and absorb it. And, and so that's exactly what I did. And I was 48 years old. I took a, it ended up being 18 months, a great luxury to be able to do that. I'm the first to admit that. Uh, but but I was able to take some time and 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 get the get that next chapter in my life all put together um, in terms of really what what 
what Scott's impact was going to be. So I used that time. I, I formulated my personal business principles. I formulated um, what was most important to me in my living model. I created a different way of perspective toward how I was going to interact with people, which was not as uh, task oriented. And um, I've tried to live to that uh, literally ever since. Talk a little more about that when you say it wasn't, wasn't as task oriented and how you interact with people. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, uh, um, so first of all, we all read the leadership world, right? Um, you, you know, you should, you should really uh, attract and promote the really best people. You should fire the bottom 10%. You should work on flaws. You should do this. There's so much conflicting information. Okay. And so um, spending the time to really understand um, what was going to, what was going to be my leadership set of principles, you know, what, because I had to choose, you know, you can't be everything and every article has got a slightly different set of advice. So I boiled myself down to, you know, really five core principles and, and I very true to that and sharing that with other people, which, which allowed me to uh, connect with them on principle and, and, and therefore to give them an idea of what I was striving to be and give them a, a mechanism to give me feedback if I wasn't wasn't fulfilling that. But at the same time, that's a lot better than just working from goal to goal. And, and, uh, okay, we got to make this quarter's this, this quarter's that, um, that's, um, that's not as, not as, uh, foundational, I don't think. And I've, I've found it to be very successful since then to, to work, to work from principles in service of a goal and of a mission, as opposed to just to work for the goal, which is, which is, it's easy to do when, um, when you're running a business. What are the principles? First of all, whatever we do, we do on purpose with purpose. So to be very intentional about the things we do, it's easy to kind of wander and say, you're just experimenting, but you got to have some general purpose and direction for, for what you're doing. Second, um, and I wrote these back in uh, 2010, okay? So align the organization and its stakeholders to an important cause to improve society, that everybody needs to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And you need to make it real clear as to what, what this organization is really doing. Third is, Provide a company environment where people have the opportunity to succeed doing their best work. Okay, it's it's really build on strengths, not fix flaws. It's find people's strengths and allow them to be stronger at what they already do great. Because genius comes from being being really good at what you do, not at fixing your flaws. And so I've really created an environment for that. Uh, fourth is relentless focus on learning execution and achievement, that if you decide those things are important, you have to stay very committed uh, to, to making all those things happen. And the fifth is really one for me, which is serve with a passion um, in helping others succeed. And, and so those are my five. And uh, I literally, um, when I was interviewing for the YPO role, I said, this is who I'm, I am. This is who I'm going to be. If this doesn't line up with you, it's okay. Uh, but this is, this is who I am. And when I sat with each of my team and my entire team, I said, this is who I'm going to be. If, I, if, you, don't, if you find I'm not fulfilling or I'm not modeling the behavior for these, this is, uh, um, I, I want to hear about it. And, and so even in our annual um, uh, review process and all of those, I, I would ask people to um, uh, review me on these. And so they, they would provide the feedback. That common alignment just took away a lot of surprise, it held me to a higher standard, which is the standard I set for myself. And also, uh, um, uh, just very proud to say, I, I did my very best to try to try to live to those, and, and through all of that role, I don't know, I'll keep trying. Why did you decide to leave? So you left December twenty twenty. <clears throat> uh, why why step away and and talk about what you're up to now as well? Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you. So um, sometimes journeys kind of run run their course and cost, and and so so um, while we. We went through uh, COVID and did all kinds of uh, very challenging things and supporting our members and new needs and new requirements in COVID. Uh, um, you know, 
before that, we announced in 2019 it was going to make the change. And for me, it was just about is you know uh, um, I don't want don't want this to be all of me uh, that, that that I want to want to kind of invigorate in, in a different direction. So what I chose to do was um, really take a, a mini sabbatical, which I'm in right now. I'm in between doing some advisory work, doing some um, uh, some 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 board work for some really uh, impressive fun organizations that are that are going to make a big difference as, as time goes. And um, I'm looking to build kind of my next chapter, uh, um, uh, kind of how I did back when I was 48. And I took a little bit of a of, of a pivot shift. So um, so it's a it's a wonderful luxury. Um, but it's also the space is allowing me to see the world much more clearly than I would have if I was in the thick and throes of things. And so I'm, I'm uh, very, very excited about how to how to dedicate that as, as I go forth. This isn't a question that I've asked before, but it is September 2nd. We are approaching September 11th, 2021. So 20 years ago, 9-11 happened. And as we're talking about a pandemic in my lifetime, 9-11 to me changed how a lot of people thought, how a lot of people worked. Um, I have so I've had so many people on the podcast that have even shared that 9-11 shifted their careers. It just really transformed lives. And some people lost, obviously, loved ones. It was a we went to war. I mean, it was just this watershed moment for our country. And here we are 20 years later experiencing this pandemic. We're about a year and a half into it. And it feels different than 9-11. But you talk about that tale uh, on multiple levels. I'm curious, like reflecting on the last 20 years of what happened then and um, how did 9-11 impact you as we approach that date? And, and I think all of us start to think about where we were and, and how we've been living since. Yeah, it could, for me personally, uh, it created, uh, there's a sense of vulnerability. Right. And, and so this idea that, well, been blessed so far, you know, is this is this the wartime that, uh, you know, that our parents and uh, grandparents had, had kind of gone through? Is this is the watershed moment. But the, the, the veneer of uh, um, safety that that was uh, always just a veneer, uh, obviously, in hindsight, it was an illusion. Um, uh, was 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 broken, and so I just remember the time when nobody when nobody was flying and all of the rest of that stuff. Just about how humble and grounded uh, we were, and and uh, um, just uh, people were appreciative. Some of that began to wane, and and I think societally we've just become a, a fearful society. I, I think I think that the shattered illusion of, of America in, in two thousand one has just turned into all kinds of fear. Fear, fear-based uh, political agendas. Okay, I'm afraid of immigrants. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of uh, this. You know, there's just been a, a, a giant fear that that's run in, and it's become less uh, um, uh, less cohesive um, than than we had before. And it's just society kind of adapting as time goes. But I. But I also see the pandemic um, is, is a great commitment to humanity. You know, you had 80% of global GDP locked down, okay? Not on one command of the United Nations or a single entity. I mean, 80, they all made their own individual decisions and locked down. What a great statement for, for the safety of humanity, you know? And, and, and um, now it's, 
it's we can't stay locked down for long, and we shouldn't lock down again, and all those kinds of things that, the, that every jurisdiction is sorting through. But but there, there's been expressions of just great humanity, and 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 I think uh, to see that and continue to strive to connect that, despite the nationalism that's growing and all the other challenges we have, I, I think is part of my role as a leader, and and I and I think uh, part of many of us that we can contribute to. It's interesting that you went to fear and sort of groundedness because as I think about the pandemic, there's fear mm-hmm. and there's groundedness. And for some people, they've loved the groundedness. They've been traveling like crazy and they hadn't seen their kids, maybe like you were when you were 48. And mm-hmm. so I have clients who are like, Brian, I've never been better. Um, and there is fear. I mean, there remains to be giant fear. And the fear for me is like, how long, when, when, when will things not be as fearful? When will you be able to just hug somebody without asking them if you're good to, and, and look like there's some elements of that, that probably should happen anyway. But um, no, like I, I worry about that. I worry about us continuing to be overly afraid. I think about us all taking our shoes off when we go to the airport and there was some maybe irrational fear that occurred and you know you quickly adjust humans will adapt and will adjust and we'll make do with what we can but um it's just an it's something that i'm reflecting on is is we have those are the two watershed these have been the two watershed moments in my life and they're so clear because i think it changed a lot of people's thinking and and to your point i think a lot of people changed jobs in 911 um, either they were forced to, or they chose to. And over the last year and a half, I, I mean, so many people have decided to walk away from things, mm-hmm. start things, pick up and move where they live. I mean, it's just been such massive changes, buy a house, move here. I mean, the amount of clients that I've worked with that have had some massive change, um, it's drastic. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. it's interesting, Brian, uh, thinking about the two watershed moments, because for, for my life as well, I, I would, I would relate to that is in 2001, we were all Americans. Okay. We were all New Yorkers. And and there was actually this, um, solidarity pride, than I, pride, stronger than I've ever felt it, you know, cause when I was patriotism kid, too, right, right. Exactly. We were coming out of Vietnam. So, so, you know, it was a long time before, before we, we were able to kind of, kind of get our head uh, beyond that, but there, there was a, uh, we were Americans, you know, and, and coming through the pandemic um, America is so fractured. Okay. And, 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 and there, there was really no attempt to make us a, a, a country or the tribal reach. And I just, just hoping that, that somehow we we find ways to, to to bridge together based on what we have more in common and want want to achieve together more than what, what's separating us. It just seems like we're uh, we're we're caught in a in a in a, one of those habit trail wheels, just running in circles. Everybody feeling somehow upset for for different reasons, and we're not really bridging bridging the gaps. And and so I'm I'm just very hopeful that as time goes forth, um, that uh, there's some triggering event with some good leadership and all of us kind of working together where we can start to see each other as uh, um, as as Americans and and start solving problems together. That's really really the challenge as we look ahead. We have the empathy, we have the capacity, we have the curiosity. We just need to start using it. And uh, I say we, cause it's for, it's for all of us. And um, so, Hey, 
Scott, this has been a blast. I feel like we could talk all day. I'm looking forward to many more conversations with you in the future. But uh, before I let you go, is there anything you want to give a megaphone to? Anything you want people to know more about? Uh, I just want to give you the floor. There's two phenomenal organizations I've gotten involved with recently. And uh, um, just encourage anybody who's so inclined to let me know, ping me on LinkedIn, or uh, we can put the, the websites in the uh, in the talking notes or whatever is possible. But first is that women leaders in digital and artificial intelligence. It's WLDA.tech. Uh, and uh, um, there's this whole group coming together uh, of, of just really amazing women leaders in, in, in an area that uh, hasn't often gotten a lot of support. And uh, um, the, the founder, Asha Saxena, is, is just assembling a, an incredible group of people together. And uh, we really seek um, how we can help uh, women leaders uh, become even better in, in, a, in a very challenging area of the field. And so fantastic stuff. The, the other group is just uh, uh, really much more global in so many ways. It's called the Knowledge Pledge. And uh, when we think about uh, all of the challenges around the world, the one untapped resource is human capital. Okay, everything else is spent, but the one untapped resource is human capital. And the Knowledge Pledge connects incredible experts who wanna give back to the world with developing projects that are sustainable, whether they be environmental, environmental, social, and or climate oriented uh, relative to economic oriented in terms of what's there. So the Knowledge Pledge is uh, in, its, in its earliest days. We've got an incredible group of advisory board folks, but uh, we're gonna make a big difference relative to helping projects that um, really accelerate their impact. So just great places to make a difference in the world and um, just welcome anybody who wants to join us. Awesome. When we before we started recording, Scott said, "I'm not here to say this is the Scott Mordell show. I'm I'm here to just learn with you and and share what I've learned and et cetera, et cetera." So I'm gonna promote Scott's Twitter and his LinkedIn for him. So on Twitter, he's at S Mordell, uh, and it's two L's in his last name. And then you can just do the same thing. You can find him on on LinkedIn, Scott Mordell. And it's apropos since we connected on LinkedIn, I encourage other people to connect with Scott and maybe he'll message you back. And, and now he's going to regret doing this. And now he's going to have more, he's going to have to allocate 10 hours a week and, and deal with it from all the people from this podcast that listen, but Scott, this has been a blast. I'm on LinkedIn as well at Brian Levinson and then Twitter at Brian Levinson. You can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Appreciate you appreciate uh, what you do for all kinds of different people. And you said something earlier about legacy and just hopefully you make this place a little bit better for people that you interact with. And I can tell you, you've tangibly made me better. Um, but also I think deep down, you, I've just enjoyed connecting with you and uh, looking forward to continuing to build a relationship with you. Thank you so much. All the best, uh, Brian, uh, and all of your listeners, of course. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. First of all, whatever we do, we do on purpose with purpose. So to be very intentional about the things we do, it's easy to kind of wander and say you're just experimenting, but you got to have some general purpose and direction for, for what you're doing. Second, um, and I wrote these back in uh, 2010, okay? So align the organization and its stakeholders to an important cause to improve society, that everybody needs to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And you need to make it real clear as to what, what this organization is really doing. Third is provide a company environment where people have the opportunity to succeed doing their best work, okay? It's, it's really build on strengths, not fix flaws. It's refine people's strengths and allow them to be stronger at what they already do great because genius comes from being, being really good at what you do, not at fixing your flaws. And so I've really created an environment for that. Uh, fourth is 
relentless focus on learning, execution, and achievement. That if you decide those things are important, you have to stay very committed uh, to, to making all those things happen. And the fifth is really one for me, which is serve with a passion um, in helping others succeed.